Welcome to Naturopathy Today. Your hosts are Dr. Michael Schwartz and Steve Langford. Join them as they guide you on a journey to good health through holistic naturopathy. Now here are Michael and Steve. Good morning and welcome to another informative session of Naturopathy Today. I'm your guide, one of your guides, along with my good bud, Steve Langford. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Michael. Nice to see you again. Always a pleasure to be here. Mine as well, and thank you. So, you know, we're going to talk about diabetes, and it's really interesting because, you know, we brought it up last week that we were going to talk about it, and I got an email from a listener thank you very much, who said, are you guys going to be talking about diabetic ulcers? So I figured, you know what, why don't we just go ahead and start with that? Have you, you've seen diabetic ulcers on some clients on their ankles predominantly? Oh, and they seem so problematic for people that they just struggle with them. Sometimes it seems for months and even years. Absolutely. Do you have a technique that you use before I share the ones I use? Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that I've always particularly appreciated was golden seal. I know it's not as easy to get, but for um, so many years, golden seal applied topically as a powder for ulcers and sores just seemed to do amazing things and in, in speeding up the healing. Though I really think in this case, you have to really work on people's diet and really change things around for them from the inside out. But I have to say, anytime I might have anything from a canker sore, golden seal was always my go-to powder. Unfortunately, it's just not as commonly known these days. Unfortunately, uh, it's fabulous because I used to use it uh, as a uh, wash. I would tell severe acne clients who had all kinds of pustules and breakouts, make a tea out of golden seal root, use it as a wash. It's fabulous for killing bacteria. I would also make a strong tea out of it and use it for conjunctivitis in a little eye cup. So you could use it as an eye wash. You could use it as a douche and it will kill just about everything, including your intestinal flora. So come wintertime, when people say they'll do echinacea golden seal root, you know, as a way of dealing with their thing from an herbal point of view, I'll always say to them, if you're going to do that 90 minutes after you use the golden seal root, reestablish your friendly flora in your intestinal tract, take a probiotic because the golden seal kills indiscriminately. My approach to the ulcers from an infection point of view, golden seal is a number one. However, because what causes the ulcer is poor circulation and the cells are starving to death, you can do one of two things, either pour white granulated sugar, right? The verboten thing for a diabetic, but to pour that into the ulcer and what you're literally doing is feeding the cells topically. And that will begin to close up in record time, the diabetic ulcer. You could also use raw honey. In fact, I don't know, being as old as we are, Steve, you know, in our 50s, we may remember <laughs> when our grandmothers, you know, if we got a, a cut or a scrape or something, would take honey and smooth honey over the cut for healing. Did your granny? Yes. Same principle. It's feeding the cells topically the fuel that they need, the glucose, whether it's coming from sucrose or 
Honey. Well, I'm glad you brought up honey because yes, I, it goes back for me for more than 45 years remembering that. And one of the interesting things I learned along the way at that time is bacteria doesn't grow in honey. You know, you look at your jar of honey, it doesn't spoil. Well, why is that? We think of sugar as feeding bacteria, but in this case, it certainly didn't. And I actually have one more question for you. I know that because golden seal has been short supply, that I believe it's Oregon grape that you have used. And I'm just wondering if that has similar properties topically as golden seal. And is it Oregon grape? Do I remember that correctly? Yes, it is Oregon grapefruit. And I do believe because it's the berberine that, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, that is the antibiotic. So yes, I think it would do the very same thing. Uh, I don't know if the alkaloids burn as much because I when I first started the company, I used to make a sinus spray. And when I first did it, I used golden seal root. In fact, I, I continued to use golden seal root till I discontinued the product. And I called it a liquid lobotomy because the alkaloids in the golden seal root would burn like there was no tomorrow, burn the you know the nostrils, the, the cavity, but it did clean out the candida and help break up the music, mucus and restored breathing. It was fabulous, but it burned like the Dickens. Well, sorry to take you off topic there, Michael, but thanks for clearing that up for me. Yeah, and you know now people know there's another way to go about getting rid of mucus, you know, or a neti pot. You could use golden seal in a neti pot, podiarco, echinacea, and or sea salt. And there is a pharmaceutical salt out there that you could use for a neti pot. Anyway, back to ulcers. Another thing you could do topically is for bed sores, and that is take the same sugar and mix it, or honey, and mix it with cornstarch and pad the bed sore because that too is an ulcer, and that will take care of that for elders. Other kind of ulcers, peptic, duodenal, uh, you know, we have that, the chewable wafer that I, I made, which was specifically for that. Or I think we mentioned this, where you can take a teaspoon of cayenne, mix it in warm water, drink it before you go to bed. And if you get up, the ulcer won't bother you. And if you don't get up, either way, it's a win-win. So uh, there's that. Ulcerated Crohn's disease. And I've done this as well with a client. I didn't administer the NMS. Let's go there first. <laughs> <laughs> I had them uh, mix up golden seal, cayenne, uh, slippery elm, marshmallow, white oak bark, bayberry bark, which are your astringents to reduce the inflammation, the slippery elm marshmallow to soothe any irritation to the villi, to the intestinal tract, and cayenne so that if it is ulcerated, it will close up the ulcer. Anyway, so those are some things that can be done for ulcers along with cayenne and a good use for sugar. Also, you could take sugar, if I remember this correctly, you could take sugar and mix it either, with, I think with baking powder or baking soda, and you could spread it around your rooms and that will kill ants and roaches. Just as an aside. <laughs> just an aside, the path of nature, things, things to learn. Okay, so diabetes is really interesting. I always, whenever I have a client with diabetes, the first thing that comes to mind on some levels, and I don't express this, I just you know go through this in my head, that it, it's really sad that some people do not allow themselves to enjoy the riches and sweets of life. And I don't know where the client sits until we have a little bit of a conversation and I find out whether they feel that they're unworthy, uh, they don't deserve it, 
They feel guilty about having it because it's not spiritual, it's too materialistic. And so we all come at everything in life from different points of view, depending upon the concepts in our subconscious mind. So anyway, th that's my first thing. But diabetes is, technically speaking, a metabolic disorder, obviously. Part of the contributing factors is the fact of a sluggish thyroid and the fact that on some levels, there's not enough nutrients for the body to work with to build a proper functioning hormone insulin because, and this is where insulin resistance comes into play. I believe there's three different types of diabetes, but we usually only talk about two. Type one, the insipidus, that's, there's either little or no insulin production. And that's because either the beta cells are damaged or there aren't any. And you know, it's children are born with type one diabetes. And I remember reading somewhere that it was the mother's immune system that attacked the beta cells as they were being developed in the pancreas and the mom's immune system. And this is not to say the moms are the fault. <laughs> it's just the way the body works. I don't want to lay guilt on anybody <laughs> if I can help it. But it's really fascinating that the immune system attacked the beta cells and destroyed them. And then a child is born as a type one diabetic. Have you come across any information like that as well, Steve? Well, I've often wondered, Michael, because I've seen some examples of families uh, sharing autoimmune problems. But what made it curious to me, I'm thinking of one family in particular where the mother had a thyroid issue. The firstborn son had type 1 diabetes. Uh, the secondborn daughter developed rheumatoid arthritis. And so I thought of these three as manifestations of autoimmune problems. And so I guess my question might be, is type 1 diabetes particularly a, an autoimmune system? And is it possible, and this was my thinking, and I've never clarified this with anybody else, that different people, even within the same family, may have a propensity towards an autoimmune, but the specific expression may arise differently in siblings or in children? That's kind of what I saw in this example, but it's only one example, so I don't know if it carries over, if that thought that this tendency or this susceptibility, perhaps, to autoimmune issues can express itself differently in different family members, and yet it's all springing from sort of the same underlying disorder. Does any of that resonate with you? Oh, absolutely. And a bunch of different thoughts came to mind simultaneously. First and foremost is the teaching in the Bible where the inequities of the father are passed on third to fourth generation. And the inequities are the concepts. So this is where hereditary diseases come into play. This is where the autoimmune diseases would come into play in a family area or a situation, even unto the grandchildren and great-grandchildren, third and fourth generations. So yes, in, and it is an emotional conceptual foundation or root that is the fundamental cause. That was one perspective. Another perspective is that fundamentally, Steve, I do not believe in autoimmune diseases. Okay. Okay. <laughs> to me, the body is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And here's my thinking. First off, are you aware of the fact that there's something like 160 known 
autoimmune diseases. I had no idea there was that many. Absolutely. And what's interesting, what I began, what led me down this path of questioning was I had a client who had an autoimmune disease and I read somewhere that there were, you know, I had another client, had another different autoimmune disease and then another one. Now, why doesn't a person, if it's an immune failure, why don't they have all of those diseases? Because the implication is it's the immune system that is failing and or attacking the body. And so why does the immune system attack only particular segments of the body? Okay. Hashimoto's, thyroid, arthritis, joints, uh, if, if diabetes, you know, the pancreas. So, if, and, you know, loss of hair would be the hair roots. Alopecia is autoimmune. So the question is, why doesn't somebody have all of them? So going back to something we covered not thoroughly, but I've brought up before about the body being energy and that the body is a physical manifestation of our emotional state of mind, so to speak. And our emotional state of mind is a reflection of the concepts that we live by and live with. So it's taught that the kingdom of God is within you. And there's a thing in Matthew where, where Jesus says, make for the straight gate, narrows the path that lead to life and fewer they who find it. Now, man teaches that as long as you believe, you're on the right path. However, I believe what Jesus was really saying is that this is an inward journey. That's why it's such a rough, narrow, rocky road. And that if you know the truth, the truth sets you free. The truth is, who am I? What are my concepts? What are my patterns of behavior? These are all the things that lead to dis-ease, emotional conflict. So what your mind does is it tries to help you stay on that narrow path by helping you identify where the emotional conflict is. As an example, with Hashimoto's and why you know it's corrupting the thyroid is because obviously there's an imbalance between spiritual thinking and material considerations because your thyroid is in your throat. And that's the link between the two. So you should always be in balance. But obviously, if there's an attack, something's out of focus. If it's arthritis, and it doesn't matter where it is. However, discerning where it is gives you a better insight as to where the conflict resides. But I've always found that with arthritis, it's really inflexible thinking. So that's why some people will have arthritis in the hands, some in the feet, some in the back, some in the neck. Although sometimes when there's a pain in the neck, I always ask the client, who is it? What is it? To help them get a better handle on it. Anyway, so I think that your body begins to give you signs that this is an area that you need to pay attention to. This is something you need to understand. Well, because we're not taught to have eyes that see and ears to hear, we continue down our path. The condition manifests and now you have cells that do not belong in the body. And now the immune system is trying to eliminate those cells to restore balance and harmony. And medically, we call that an autoimmune disease because the immune system is automatically attacking and trying to eliminate those cells before they continue to proliferate. So that's my take on autoimmune. Well, it, we, what I was thinking as you were saying that, and you know, you are a practitioner and you deal with clients and patients. 
Um, and you're, I'm guessing, suggesting that, and knowing you the way I do, uh, this is kind of a leading question, but you can't just address these problems in the physical realm. That if you just say, take these vitamins or eat this food or don't eat that food, that you are really missing a big part of the connection that can lead to your own restoration. And so you're leading people in the idea of not only just considering their physical manifestation, but how they think and how they believe um, are important keys to their success. Do I understand that correctly? Absolutely. However, I would say that supplementation facilitates the journey. It does, you know, for like arthritis, if you, you know, you all arthritis, which is interesting, which is why I'm not a fan of glucosamine and chondroitin per se, but all arthritics are clinically potassium and histidine deficient. So you have to restore that. All arthritics retain fluid, acidic, you know, which eat away at the synovial. And this is where the diet, it's amazing how everything works in harmony, even when there's disharmony, but it really works together because you end up getting attracted to those foods that will aggravate the situation, high protein diet. So now with the diet, the dairy, the nuts, you know, the diet being feet, meat, fish, fowl, all those high protein foods leave an acid ash. So now the acid eats away at the synovial membrane membrane, the fluid leaks out, and now you've got arthritis. So it's all organized. So when you bring in supplements, you end up curtailing some of the transactions and or nourishing the system so that even though it's under attack, you're minimizing the attack. And obviously the cure, and I'll put that in quotation marks, the cure would be truly understanding the concept that we hold on to that creates the the root cause of the problem. So it is. Well, it leads us back to the concepts of naturopathy of body, mind, and spirit as all being a part of a cohesive whole. And one part addressed can provide a benefit. The other part addressed may provide benefit, but without all parts working together in harmony, it's less likely that you'll get a complete benefit. Is that a good understanding? Yes, I definitely, absolutely. Okay. Because, you know, nothing stands alone. You know, I always say that about a supplement or an herb, nothing in nature stands alone, which is why you should never treat yourself with singular nutrient thinking, ah, this is the panacea. It doesn't exist. I don't care who's selling what, because we have a lot of people out there selling an ingredient that is the panacea, no such thing. So everything has to be in harmony, which is one of the reasons why way back when I created the whole concept of synergistically complete supplements, because when I formulate, I look at not only the primary, but the secondary and sometimes the tertiary issue. And I try to address all of them nutritionally so that we can get a comprehensive balance and harmony in the system to help people feel better quicker than they normally would treating an aspect of their condition. Anyway, getting back to the beta cells in, in creating type 1 diabetes, something else that can destroy them, obviously, you know, gene expression. And again, this is something that's passed on. And even genes, everything in the human body is influenced by thought. You know, you take a look at a police car pulling up behind you is one of my favorite examples. Cop car pulls up behind you, the lights flash, 
whoop, whoop on the siren. Your heart begins to pound. You feel the adrenaline rush. You get a queasy stomach. Sight and sound create biochemical reactions in the body. So even something subtle, and because we're not trained, we don't, we miss a lot of the subtleties of people either attacking us, making a joke to us, or seeing something, and yet it triggers something within. Well, that could also affect the genes of the body. In fact, I remember reading in an environmental magazine that I got that if the mom's Something about the mom's genes getting affected by chemicals. There were certain chemicals. I don't remember if it was specific chemicals that did it or an aggregation of chemicals, but they would be passed on to the embryo, which could be passed on to its child and or it would disrupt the reproductive cycle of the embryo once it became, if it was a female, and once it became to maturity, it may not be able to have children because of environmental pollutants. They also, and I don't remember if you remember reading this, Steve, because I think it circulated in the industry years ago, that they found something like 253 different chemicals in a newborn's umbilical cord. Do you ever remember coming? Yes, I, I remember that. I don't remember the exact number of chemicals, but it was astounding because it certainly represented you know, how much these chemicals are ubiquitous in our environment and how we're consuming them or breathing them or drinking them or rubbing them off from the furniture. It's just amazing to hear that newborns are being born with this overload of chemicals right at the start. Just seems so problematic for their futures. And yet it's the environment we live in. People are just wondering, how do I not do this? You know, it just goes back to, I remember when we talked about cancer, that uh, Dr. Rothschild's whole concept of cancer was the fact that the body is trying to adapt to the environment. The only problem was there was a breakdown in the cell so they couldn't get organized and function as an entity as opposed to them, each cell being a separate alien life form, they didn't. They weren't cohesive. They didn't. The glial system didn't work. Fascinating. You know, another cause of type one diabetes: uh, viruses. I think Holda Clark talked about viruses being a cause of cancer. There was somebody who created Hannah Kroger. I believe way back when, if you remember Hannah Kroger, and I'm sure you do. Both of those names are pioneers going way back in our industry. And I think it was her who postulated that viruses destroyed the beta cells in the pancreas. And that was one of the causes of type 1 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes, this is brought on more often by diet and an overload of sugar. And or this is the thing where it may be that the body is not having enough zinc, so it can't make a whole and complete insulin Therefore, if it's malformed, the, it doesn't work. So we have that insulin-resistant diabetes. And this is something that can be controlled by diet and or meds before people go on to insulin. And the nutrients that are essential for that, obviously, zinc is key. And also, I would look at the CalMag replenishment as well, because I think we talked about this with hypertension. I know we should have or did that stress completes calcium, magnesium, and zinc. Yes, we did cover that. I have some timers. I think I have covered that as well. <laughs> well, we cover a lot, and it's 
it's so far ranging these discussions and they go off in different directions. It's not surprising that we might not remember everything we said. <laughs> there is that. And so uh, in this case with type two diabetes, there's obviously either the malformed insulin or not enough insulin being produced. And again, we're back to supplementation and giving the body what it requires. And going back to your point, Steve, yeah, diabetes can run in the family. And again, it's because of following that same diet that the family depends upon. Too many carbohydrates, too many sugars, too many rewards. You know, you're a good kid. Let's go get ice cream. You got a good A. Here's another treat for you. And so our approach in our society today to get this under control, obviously medication and some of the meds are dangerous. Another is we have all of these diet products. And I can remember reading that the diet sodas specifically actually stimulate the body into creating more glucose because everything you eat turns to sugar, even protein. And that's what the liver does. The liver is a manufacturing facility that converts everything you eat into fuel for the cells. And then again, another contributing factor is obesity. And I think we've run out of time. I think next week we'll, we'll tackle, we'll pick up where we left off and, and get into thoughts on obesity, unless you have a couple that you'd like to share right now before we part company. Well, I think one of the most profound things that you said there, I don't wanna let it slip by, so many people who deal with this believe that diet sodas are okay food for them. And yet the evidence is emerging that this is really a bad habit, not good for people, and that they may be fooling themselves into thinking this is a good way to manage their diabetes or their type two diabetes. And so I really want people to take home that particular thing that what we have been taught about so much of our food system just isn't true. And people have to take a closer look at their assumptions in order to avoid some of these subtle things that we think are true, but really aren't. You know, that brings up the bumper sticker from the 60s, challenge authority. <laughs> question everything. You know, you just made me remember something that I came across on YouTube from a guy named Maxwell Ingram or Ingham or something out of Australia. And what he said was belief was the enemy of knowledge. I like that a lot. I did too. I think that's profound because, you know, I was talking to the guys yesterday when we went out to lunch that you buy into a belief system lock, stock, and barrel. I mean, you you know, this is my belief and you're not going to change my belief. Doesn't matter what it is. You're not going to change it. And by the way, changing a person's belief system is the hardest thing in the world to do. And you can't, Absolutely. you know, what you can hope for is that you present them with enough facts, <laughs> enough knowledge that they begin to question their belief and really begin to look at the facts with a clear perception, you know, which reminds me of the teaching, take the mote out of your own eye before you see the beam in your brother's. Clear up your perception, really challenge and, and question what's being presented to you, question your belief system so you can get to the truth of things because the truth will set you free. And on that note, 
we are free to move on. You're free to move about the country. And we will all get back together next week, God willing. So until then, from me, thank you for tuning in. Peace be with you, Steve. Thanks for joining us, folks. I'm glad you're here. And we have another interesting podcast waiting for you next week. So be sure to join us and look back at our previous episodes. There's excellent explorations that are there for you to use. So please do. And Michael, I'm looking forward to continuing this in our next show. Absolutely. Until then, be well, God bless, and we'll talk. Goodbye, folks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Naturopathy Today, sponsored by MNP, Michael's Naturopathic Programs at michaelshealth.com. Join us every Monday for the latest episode in this journey to excellent health on all levels.